I thank God that you are with us today. It is a joy to be together in the house of God and in worship together. Um, we remember today that our own annual conference is wrapping up over at the lake and we keep them in our thoughts and prayers uh, as they've had a successful conference together. I have a few announcements about the, um, the life of the church, especially the, the life of the church contained in the next couple of days. Um, I'm going to start with the blood drive, which is on Thursday. I know firsthand the saving power of um, the gift of blood, and I hope that uh, those of you who are able will be involved in that uh, blood donation this Thursday. Barbara Iverson will be out in the narthex following the service to sign you up. That's Thursday the 28th from 11 um, a.m. to 7 p.m. In uh, just about 10 days, our uh, Wednesday program for children begins. It's called Wacky Worship Wednesday. And um, that's a time on Wednesday mornings. It runs from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. Uh, the Wednesdays during July, but not this Wednesday since it's the 4th. And um, we look forward to, uh, to having your kids with us and um, doing crafts and I get to teach a science class. It's just, it's a, it's a ton of fun. So if you know a child that you could drop off for a few hours on Wednesday, it'll be good for them, and we would love to have them here. Um, mini golf today, our annual church-wide trip to Maggie Valley to play putt-putt. Um, meet over at the Blue Water Golf Course in Maggie Valley. I don't know what it's actually called, but it's the one with the blue water falling off the waterfalls. <laughs> Fantasy golf, there you go, um, in Maggie. Uh, tea times will be between 5 and 5.30. Great time for church fellowship. Um, I want to invite one of our summer interns that I've enjoyed getting to know up to the uh, lectern. This is Lucy Hudson. Over the course of the summer, we'll be hearing from all of our summer interns um, a little story about what brought them here. Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Lucy Hudson, and I'm one of the church interns here this summer. I'm from Venice, Florida, and I'm going to be a sophomore at Florida Southern College next year. I got asked to be an intern by Mike Blackburn last summer while I was up at Wilderness Trail. I was serving as a junior staff, and my group that I led was a Waynesville group with Mike Blackburn as the adult. I've known Mike and his family for a long time, so naturally I was super excited to go hiking with him. The week went on, and Mike started asking me questions about what my summer plans were for next year. Now, full disclosure, I have this habit of trying to control my life instead of letting God lead me with his plan. I'm sure no one else in this room can relate to this issue. I don't know why I keep trying to do this, because every time I've tried to run my own life, God never fails to say, yeah, no, I have something much better than that plan, and throws me a curveball that flips everything I thought was for certain upside down. The funny thing is, every time this happens, God's plan ends up being so much better than what I had planned. This summer in Waynesville has been no exception. I began to tell Mike as we were hiking my foolproof plan for next summer, explaining how I applied to be a wilderness trail staff and how it was going to be the best summer of my life. And then I explained my backup plan I had lined up, which was staying in Venice and working for my youth group as an intern, just in case my first plan didn't work out because again, I was attempting co to control my own life and have everything planned out, which I've now learned does not work out very well. Mike then went on to explain how he wanted me to come live in Waynesville for the summer and work for FUMC as a church intern. I heard him out, but in my head I thought, yeah, there's no chance that's gonna happen. I've already got two foolproof plans planned out. There's no need for me to try and make a plan C. Well, by the time my second semester of college had started, both of my summer plans had fallen through, and I was stressing. 
Mike had been calling during the school year, working out logistics with me, saying his offer still stood. I didn't want to admit it at the time, but God was knocking down everything I had created to make room for his perfect plan for my 2018 summer. Since all of my plans for the summer were falling through, I began to seriously consider Mike's offer. And that's when all of the unknowns suddenly became very evident to me. I realized I would be going to a church I'd never set foot in, full of an entire congregation of people I did not know, working for an entire staff I'd never met before, with a team of interns my age that knew everything I did not, all while attempting to lead kids and youth that would have no idea who I am. Not to mention, I had no place to live, no idea what I would be doing, and no clue what to pack. I couldn't tell you at the time why I even said yes to Mike's offer, other than the fact that God was determined to get me here. But with my summer here in Waynesville already five weeks in, I can now stand here and tell you this has all been God's plan to work on my trust in him. This summer has already turned into one of the best summers of my life, and I wouldn't trade it for the world. I have an amazing intern team that I've gotten to know and love. My roommate, Annabelle Lamar, is one of my favorite people on this earth, and the kids I've gotten to work with never fail to make me love my job. Through all of this, I've learned that I need to break my habit of thinking that I know what's best for myself, because God's plan for my life has me going further than I could ever dream possible. All of the unknowns were God's way of not allowing me to set any expectations for the summer and go in fully trusting him. I'm continually being shown it's so important not to lean on my own understandings because my life is not my own. My life is in the hands of the maker of heavens. This summer is my opportunity to give it all to the Lord and trust that he will make something beautiful out of it. I thank God every day for this amazing experience he has given me. And I can't help but smile when I think about what is yet to come this summer. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Uh, another person who I've recently gotten to know has uh, come up the hill from Grace Episcopal. This is Robert Vio, and he's going to be talking to us about um, our church's position in the arts community in relation to the upcoming Swannanoa Chamber Festival. Uh, I represent HCAC, Haywood County Community Arts Association, and we are in, we, have, uh, we directly support Swannanoa Chamber Music uh, uh, performances. They're in their 48th year, uh, and they are moving here starting next Sunday. So at 3 p.m., one week from now, you will have an opportunity to hear glorious, world-class chamber music, counter-tenor Nicholas Tamanga, this coming next, next Sunday, uh, in a performance uh, that is in memory of Ruth Geiger. Uh, you'll hear three uh, world-class chamber music groups with various uh, other instruments added to that. Uh, so I think this is a wonderful opportunity. We're moving here because I think it's a great uh, venue for us to grow in. You already have a fantastic reputation for music. And I personally can't think of a better way to get with God or overcome the division in my life and in the world than through the universal language of music. So we would love to have you join us. Scott has all the inf important information. You're getting special prices on the tickets for, by virtue of your being members of this church. And uh, we hope you'll join us five Sundays, all five Sundays in July. Okay. Thanks, Scott. <coughs>
All right. Um, and, and about those tickets, yes, if you are interested in a ticket, um, just call the church office. They are $20, gets you into any program. Um, I did this at the early service. Hold on, Robert. How many of you have never heard of the Swannanoa Chamber Music Festival? Never heard of it? Yeah. I think we need to get the word out there. It, it, should, it should be the Aspen Music Festival of the Southeast. I'm, I firmly believe that. So, um, so do what you can to make one of those programs this year. Give us a call. We'll get you a ticket set up. Let us turn our hearts and minds to prayer. Our New Testament lesson for this morning is from Acts chapter 10, beginning with the 34th verse. Then Peter began to speak to them, I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. You know the message he sent to the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That message spread throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John announced. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. How he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses to all that he did, both in Judea and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and allowed him to reappear. Not to all the people, but to us who were chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one ordained by God as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they, they heard him speaking in tongues, they, they heard him speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter said, Can anyone withhold the water from baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, then invited them to stay there for several days. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So when I was 11 years old, uh, my family moved from the parsonage in Burnsville, in Yancey County, to the parsonage in Cherokee on the Indian Reservation. And I didn't want to move. Uh, moving meant uh, leaving all my friends, um, Jimmy Marsh, and Tracy Bishop, and James Robinson, and, and Mike Gooch. Uh, so I remember crying a lot, my face down in my pillow, uh, crying a lot. Uh, but I, I wasn't crying for those guys. I was mostly crying because of this little sixth grade girl <laughs> that I had a crush on. I remember my mom would come and, and sit on the side of my bed as I was weeping into my pillow and you know moms have fingernails that are a little longer and she would just kind of rub through my hair, I had hair then, and kind of scratch my scalp, you know how good that feels and she's like you know it's going to be okay honey. 
Um, but it wasn't okay. It's tough being 11. My dad tried to get me excited about the move, and so he told me that there was a new high school uh, in, in Cherokee, and that this, this new high school had a really amazing woodworking shop, and it also had a, an Olympic-sized swimming pool. And he added the fact that um, the high school also included the middle school, so it would be grades 7 through 12, and so kind of giving me that elbow, like, you'll be able to go uh, and, and start in this school. And um, his strategy kind of worked. I still didn't want to move, but I was extremely excited about having an Olympic-sized swimming pool in my new school. But things didn't turn out exactly like I thought they would. You know, when you, when you arrive at school, you typically go to your homeroom. And so I would go to my, to my homeroom first thing in the morning, and it was in my, in my homeroom um, that I met little Ed. And there was nothing little about little Ed. Um, he was actually about twice my size, which wasn't saying much because I was the second smallest kid in, in the entire school. Um, but it wouldn't be long uh, in, in the start of homeroom class that uh, little Ed would have me over his head, would be spinning me around, there would be lots of laughter, and it usually ended with me being stuffed in the trash can. And he would call me white boy. Everybody called me white boy. There were only a, a few white kids in the entire school. But at least we had the swimming pool. So I was extremely excited the, the first time in PE that we got to go swimming until coach came into the shower room with this huge laundry basket and, and dumped uh, all these bathing suits onto the shower room floor and, and said, um, y'all have to wear these. And so you can imagine us digging through this, this pile of bathing suits trying to, to find a, a size that would fit, and it was uh, pretty much impossible. And what made matters worse is all of the bathing suits were Speedo bathing suits, the little tiny ones. So I'm a seventh grader in a, in a brand new school, uh, walking from the shower room into the swimming pool area, uh, wearing a Speedo that's either too big or too small, I'm not sure which is worse, only to discover that the entire seventh grade girls' PE class was already in the pool, and they were all looking at us. Some of the guys excitedly went to the diving boards, the high dive and the regular dive, and I quickly decided that the safest place for me to be was in the water. And so I was wrong about that. I was in the corner of the shallow end, and I uh, heard someone say, hey, white boy. And I turned and saw three of my classmates coming after me, and they, they quickly surrounded me and proceeded to hold me un under the water uh, just for fun. So I went from the horror of being in front of the entire seventh grade girls PE class in a Speedo that doesn't fit to knowing that I was not going to live to see another day. Well, I lived to see another day, but it really wasn't any better. You remember how I said I was the second smallest kid in the school? Well, the smallest kid in the school, Roger, decided that he wanted to beat me up. So there was a, a locker room fight all of a sudden. And you know how locker rooms are. You've got these rows of lockers with benches in between, and so you've got two pretty 
big escape routes or options, but I couldn't escape because there was this excitement about there being a fight. And so the, the ends of the lockers uh, were blocked by all of the other kids in my class. And so Roger pushed me into my open locker and it really hurt, but I wouldn't fight him. I mean, I was afraid and I wouldn't fight. And so I got called a lot of different names that I won't repeat. And after that, I would be walking down the hallway and I would be carrying a lot of books and, and papers and, and, and such. And I wouldn't see him coming, but he'd sneak up behind me and would just knock them out of my arms. And it was actually really just like you might see in a movie where books are flying and papers are flying. I mean, it was awful. I was miserable. Uh, needless to say, I didn't feel welcome in this new place. And I knew that they didn't want me. And I knew that I didn't belong. And you know, one of the early church's biggest challenges was trying to figure out who belonged. And it seems the church has struggled with that ever since. Now today we end our series, our After Easter series, All In, God's Dangerous Invitation. Uh, we've been spending some time uh, looking at these stories of what happened after Pentecost when the Spirit came like Jesus promised and the church was given great power. We'll, we'll, we'll end with our, our story of Peter and Cornelius. It's the, entire, the entirety of Acts chapter 10. Most scholars agree that, that this story is a, is a, a pivot point in the book of Acts um, and that it's a huge turning point in the, in the long drama uh, of God's people and God's story of salvation. In chapter 1 of verse 10, we meet Cornelius. Uh, Cornelius is a Gentile. He's a Roman. Uh, he's a, a military officer. So he made his living uh, in the military occupation of someone else's country. He was an outsider. And so he would have been considered an enemy to the Jewish people. But Luke tells us that he's a really devout guy. Like he seeks after God. And as Luke tells the story, Cornelius has a vision. And an angel appears. An angel of God comes and calls him by name. And we, we can anticipate what happens because it seems to be what happens anytime we read in the Bible about there being an, an angel uh, appearance, uh, Cornelius is horrified. He's in terror. And it's, Luke says he just stares in terror, but he musters up uh, enough to ask the question, what is it that you want, Lord? And the angel says, God has heard your prayers, and God has seen your generosity, and God is pleased with you. And then he says to Cornelius, send some of your men to Joppa, because in Joppa there you will find a man named Simon who is also called Peter, and have your men bring Peter back to your house. And so Cornelius tells a few of his men this story, and he sends them on their way. The next day at about noon, while these men were on their journey, Peter goes up onto the roof of his house to pray because it's, it's noon and it was time for prayer. And he's, he's hungry and it says that the, the people in the house uh, were, were preparing lunch. 
And so while Peter is praying on the roof of the house, he has a vision. And what he sees is this large sheet that descends from heaven. And on this sheet are all kinds of of four-footed animals and reptiles and birds. And what Peter hears is this command to eat. Uh, Peter, get up, kill, and eat. Peter's response to this just shows to us that, that he is a faithful Jew. He's like, there's no way. There's no way I'm getting up and killing and eating uh, those animals. And he, he actually says, I've never eaten anything unclean or profane in my entire life. Now, the, the scripture that, inf- that informs Peter in this is from uh, Deuteronomy chapter 11. And, and maybe we're uh, somewhat familiar with the, the, the clean and unclean foods um, that, that the Lord spoke to Moses about. These are the things that you can't eat. Uh, you can't eat the camel. You can't eat the rock badger. Did y'all know that you weren't allowed to eat rock badgers? Um, you can't eat the rabbit. You can't eat the pig. And he says, of their flesh you shall not eat, of their, and their car- carcasses you shall not touch. They are unclean for you. You shall regard as detestable among the birds, the eagle, the vulture, the osprey, the buzzard, the kite, Every raven of any kind, the ostrich, the night hawk, the seagull, the hawk of any kind, the little owl, the cormorant, the great owl, the water hen, the desert owl, the carrion vulture, the stork, the heron of any kind, some bird that's called a hoopoe, and the bat. Winged insects that walk upon all fours are detestable to you, so you cannot eat crickets and grasshoppers and insects like that. These are unclean for you. They're detestable to you. And so Peter knows this. But this happens three times in this story. God says, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. What God has made clean, you must not call profane. What God has made clean, you must not call profane. Peter gets it, I think, because even though he was puzzled and he was trying to figure it out, at that very time that this happened, the three men from Cornelius arrive at the gate. And then the Holy Spirit speaks to Peter. And I want to pause for just a second to to point that out. Have you noticed that in all of these stories, uh, in, in this book of Acts that we've looked at, the Holy Spirit is present and the, the, the power of God is, is present in the power of God's Spirit. And the Holy Spirit speaks, and individual people and the church as a group, they hear and they understand, and the Holy Spirit speaks to Peter. And Peter understands, and the Spirit says, there are three men that are here, and you need to go with them. And so uh, the men tell Peter about Cornelius' vision, and they they stay with, with him, and then Peter goes with them. So they get to Cornelius' house. And when they get to Cornelius' house, uh, Peter realizes that there's a crowd that has gathered there. Cornelius is excited about this, but I think we all would be. Once we got over the terror of an angel, we would realize there's something going on here. And so this is, this is what Peter says to them after he goes into this Gentile house. You yourselves know that it is unlawful for a Jew to associate with or to visit a Gentile. 
But God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. And then he asks, now may I ask why you have sent for me? Well, then Cornelius speaks, and Cornelius tells his story. And tells of this vision that he had, and that he was to, to call for Peter. And then Cornelius says, therefore I sent for you immediately, and you have been kind enough to come. So now all of us are here in the presence of God to listen to all that the Lord has commanded you to say. And I just imagine Peter there. And he has a captive audience. He has an opportunity to, to be a witness. And that's what we have recognized in all of these weeks. That God has given the Spirit to the church. That the Spirit can be the witness that God needs the church to be. And he's got something to say. Some... Uh, Scholars say that um, this is the most concise and complete sermon uh, and presentation of the gospel that Peter gives here. He says, um, I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears God and does what is right is acceptable. He looks at this group of stranger Gentiles that many maybe uh, would call enemies. It says that you belong. Everyone belongs. It's a huge turning point for the church. I don't know what the turning point was for me, but things turned. Maybe my classmates finally saw that I really wasn't all that bad, that I actually could be a decent friend. You know, dissecting a frog in biology class together is a, is a bonding experience. <laughs> And I quickly learned that the history of the Cherokee people is tragic, to say the least. White invaders stole everything from them, their land, their <coughs> dignity, even their lives. If you've lived in Cherokee, or maybe you've been close enough to know that um, the Unto These Hills drama that, that is on every summer, um, the night before the drama begins, uh, I, I forget exactly what, what it was called, whether it was Indian night or local night, but everybody on the reservation uh, got to attend for free. And so we always did. It was the story of the Trail of Tears. So every summer, we would all see this dramatized in this outdoor amphitheater. The story where they were nearly wiped out. <coughs> and where they ended up on a, a reservation in the desert. Their story changed me. And I was like, no wonder they call me names. You know, it's hard for a Methodist preacher's kid to answer the question, where are you from? <laughs> because we're from lots of places. But I tell you, I'm from Cherokee. That it's home. You know, there are um, lots of things that divide us. And I find myself feeling really sad at how divided our world can be. And I, and I wonder, um, how in the world can we turn this thing around? I, I believe that God wants us to. I believe that, that God calls the church to do something. 
Our age divides us. Our gender divides us. Are we white or black uh, or Hispanic or Asian or Native American? Are we gay? Are we straight? Are we transgender? Are we Christian or are we atheist? Are we Muslim? Are we Buddhist? Are we from Haywood County? Or are you from somewhere else? We know about that one. I, I know there's a lot for us to talk about in this story. Things that we need to spend hours on, like how we hold this book, our interpretation of scripture, like our tradition as a church. What do we do with change and how do we change? How are we able to hear the spirit of God and courageously act on it? But there's, there's one lesson that's clear in this. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. God's grace and forgiveness of sin is for everyone. And what this story tells me, especially as Peter begins his sermon, is that people matter to God. All of us do. That God wants all of us. This first church we have seen in these weeks was all in. The risen Christ was alive in them. And they had the courage to go. In our staff, as, as we were planning this sermon series and we were, we were uh, tossing around ideas for a title, uh, Rachel Cease, uh, she says, I think it ought to be, uh, if you want the biscuit, you got to risk it. <laughs> and that one was my favorite. But we've got to take risks. They did. And sometimes it cost them their lives. But they had the courage to go. And they had the power to speak. To be the witness that God needed the church to be. And you know what happened. God's kingdom appeared on planet Earth. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts. Praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. That was them. But that's who we are, you know? That's who we are. So my prayer is that God will help us to be all in. And to never be afraid of who we are. Will you pray with me? God, help us to be all in. And to never be afraid of who we are.